The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, this is Alexis Haynes, and welcome to Recovering from Reality, where I illuminate the messy and magical path of coming home to yourself. Whether you're on the road to recovery, seeking self-care techniques for surviving the capitalist machine, or just need a moment to remember that you're not alone in your loneliness, we're serving up the ultimate truth. Your challenges don't define you. How you deal with them does. So, are you ready to recover from reality? I always said, I'll never try drugs because I have an addictive personality. Meanwhile, I'm slamming fucking bottles of vodka at 11 in the morning. So, the alcoholic mind is a real tricky one. And how we're able to make sense of things you know, me saying I'll, I'll stop drinking when I get pregnant. They're just It's a constant mindfuck that this disease fits us into. That was a quick clip from this week's episode with Lala Kent. You guys have been begging for me to get Lala on the podcast. And after years of attempts, I finally decided to slide into her DMs and also aggressively comment on her Instagram that I had DM'd her so she would see my DM and join me on the podcast. It was such a great conversation. I know you guys are going to have huge takeaways. We dive into her not-so-public past, into her public past, into her current life. And we have a really interesting conversation about being California sober. For those of you who don't know California sober, well, I think it means different things to different people. Just how sobriety is defined differently to different people. Some people don't even view you as being sober if you're taking medication for your mental health. And that's how extreme the opinions go. But we end up talking about being California sober and what that means. And we have very different opinions about it. Lala is um, on one side of the spectrum and I'm on the other. So it was a great conversation And I'm going to keep this week's intro short. I always try to do that for you guys. I don't know why. I think it's because when I listen to podcasts and they have really long intros, it bugs me. I'm just kind of like, get to the point. Like, let's start the podcast. Um, So I'm not a big intro person, but I am sending you all my love on this beautiful Monday in the holiday season. It's my favorite time of year, as you guys know. I hope that you enjoy this episode. And if you do, please share it on social media. Take a screenshot and post it and send it to me and I will reshare. I appreciate the love. So with that, here is this week's episode with Lala Kent. I've never watched an episode of Vanderpump Rules in my life. So I'm so glad. I'm so glad. (laughs) That's how I feel when people are like, I've never seen Pretty Wild. I'm like, excellent. Let's dive in. Like, take away all of the biases. I have seen that. (laughs) Well, I think... It's just, it's nice when it's like nobody has a preconceived notion about who you are. And very, once you're on reality TV, it's like everybody has a fucking opinion, right? And it's so nice to kind of have a fresh start. So here we are with a fresh start between you and I. I can't wait to dive into your recovery journey. I've listened to you on other podcasts as I was preparing for you to be a guest on mine. And if it's okay with you, I think I want to see how comfortable you are going a little bit deeper because I feel like addiction doesn't happen in a vacuum, right? It's not like this one thing happened and now I'm a drug addict. It's usually some form of trauma and that can be a big T trauma or multiple little T traumas that happen throughout our childhood that as a result of those traumas affect our belief system about ourselves, affect the way that we view our safety and security in the world. And eventually, because we don't have the necessary coping skills, we turn to unhealthy behaviors, whether that be sex, working out, overworking, or drugs and alcohol in order to cope. So what was your childhood life like? Are your parents 
still married? Like, was the family dynamic healthy? What was that like for you growing up? I love this question. My parents were together up until he passed away about four years ago. So that they would have been together for 40 years. My childhood was amazing, you know, and I, I've done therapy and I'm active in my program. And, you know, we do like to focus on things that happened back when we were kids to see kind of how this, how did I get here? But I, I really did have an incredible childhood. I was very insecure as a kid. My mom was my best friend who kind of gave me the backbone that I needed. She instilled confidence in me to go out into the world and take it on. And when I was at home, I could be sensitive and sweet and and the kid that I wanted to be. But going into school, you know, I had to have my dukes up all the time. I, I was bullied. I ended up turning into the bully. And I can't say that my addiction came from my home life because I never saw addiction. My parents were very, what we consider normies. You know, I didn't ever see my parents fucked up. It was just like, it was an impeccable childhood. And I remember I would go to parties in high school and everyone would be shit-faced or, you know, doing drugs. And I remember saying to one person, because they had asked me, you've never had a drink before. And I think I was 18 at the time. And I said, no, I just like, I, I feel like God gave me this body and I need to respect it. it. It's healthy. It works well. I just don't see why I would put anything into it. I don't know what changed from that moment to the moment that I picked up my first drink. But I, I do remember the text that I sent to my, my best friend at the time. I was about to graduate from high school and I texted her and said, you know, I've been to parties and I feel like everyone has these amazing memories of like their first drink or like that one wild night out. I'm graduating from high school and I, I haven't experienced that yet. And she said, come over this weekend. We're going to get you drunk for the first time. And I got drunk on warm Smirnoff vodka. Uh, isn't that the story Coca-Cola. for like all of us? Yes. The warm Smirnoff is so disgusting, <laughs> but that was the it's drink disgusting. for teenagers. It's so gross. This holiday season, I want to give the gift to my loved ones that makes them feel special and unique, just like the relationship that we share. That's why I'm giving everyone that I care about StoryWorth. StoryWorth is an online service that helps you and your loved ones preserve precious memories and stories for years to come. It is a thoughtful and meaningful gift that connects you to those who matter most. Every week, StoryWorth emails your relative or friend a thought-provoking question of your choice from their vast pool of possible options. Each unique prompt asks questions that you've never thought to ask, like, what's the bravest thing that you've done in your life? Or if I could see into the future, what would I want to find out? After one year, StoryWorth will compile all of your loved one's stories, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. I really look forward to doing this for my girls. I can't wait for them to open this on their 18th birthday. That's going to be my big gift to them. Reading the weekly stories helps you connect with your loved ones, no matter how near or far apart you are. With StoryWorth, I'm giving those I love most a thoughtful and personal gift from the heart, preserving their memories and stories for years to come. Go to storyworth.com slash reality and save $10 on your first purchase. That's storyworth.com slash reality to save $10 on your first purchase. I'm Topsy Bannon-Bosch, a mindset and emotional intelligence coaching consultant and a licensed mental health therapist. It's safe to say that I know a thing or two about how the brain works and how it impacts the decisions that we make in our businesses. And that's exactly why I created my new podcast, Crush the Mindset Spiral. Each Thursday, you'll hear my raw thoughts and unfiltered perspective about what it takes to run a successful business, plus the top mindset shifts that you'll need to get to your next level. Make sure to tune in for the premiere episode of Crush the Mindset Spiral. 
Well, if it's okay with you, I want to unpack this a little bit because let's while, unpack it. Yeah, while there's, I don't know if you know this, but I I have my um my background. I I when I got sober when I was nineteen, I went to school for drug and alcohol counseling. Um, my my partner and I, you know, over the last ten years, I have created an amazing treatment center, Oro House, and. I've been working in the field of addiction for the last 10 years. So this stuff like really fascinates me. Like I fucking love it. That's incredible. You said two things that caught my attention. First was that you had feelings of being insecure as a little kid. And feelings of insecurity can turn into a, a number of things. One, like my first question is, where do you think that feeling of insecurity or that belief system of you not being secure where did that come from or was it inherent? Because here's the thing. There is no addiction gene. We can't find one. There is no one addiction gene. What there is, is there's a subset of epigenetics, right? Those are things that like predispose certain people towards being more sensitive, right? And for some kids, what happens is something happened and maybe we never know what that was, but it led to feelings of not being safe or feelings of insecurity. And then what you said, which I thought was so interesting was when you were at home, you were allowed to be sensitive. And then the environment outside of your home, because everyone thinks of addiction of like the home life must've been bad. But I really focus heavily on how society affects us and is literally driving us to the point of having these huge mental health and addiction crises that we're seeing in the Western world. And what's happening in our schools to our kids and to us, you know, affects us. So just because maybe you weren't traumatized at home doesn't mean that the trauma that was happening at school wasn't so profound that it was affecting you. And like I said, with those epigenetics, it's kind of like traumas happen and it's like a light switch. They turn things on, right? And so what was so interesting is you said as a result of your insecurity and your feelings of not being safe at school, you turned into the bully. And then- As a result of you turning into the bully, what happens? And I, this happens across the board. You know who this who this was in a nutshell? And I hope she doesn't get mad at me for saying this. Do you know who Brooke Candy is? Are you familiar with Brooke Candy? She's like, uh, Candy. she's a huge artist. She's a big artist out there. I adore her now. I have to look into her. But what's so interesting is I went to school with her and that was literally like if I could do like a picture of her, she's not that way anymore now. She's an incredible human being now, but she was the biggest bully. And it was because of the environment that she was in at school. And what happens is we start to develop belief systems about ourselves now that like we're mean or whatever it might be. And it's like, that was never the truth. You defended yourself to the best of your ability. And then as a result, some probably little t traumas and belief systems developed along the way that shaped your worldview and and who you were at the time. That's how I felt about it. And you know, I I was always fighting for the underdog. I related mm. to to the underdog. I related to to the kids in my theater class. That was my safe zone. Like oh. they were they were my type of people because at home, you know, my mom had always taught me that, you know, beauty is only skin deep. And if you're not a kind person, you're not as pretty on the outside. And so when I would go to school and feel like people were coming for me and I didn't understand it because I felt that I was nice. I felt that I was a nice person who who gave everyone a fair chance. And I didn't understand what was coming my way. So that did turn me into a bully. I bullied the bullies, Mm -hmm. but I did have a safe zone at school. And, you know, back to the insecurity thing. I remember my, my first time drinking, I didn't think about my insecurities anymore. Mm -hmm. I was just 
here, ready to work the room. I could look in the mirror and look like a hot mess. And it was like, fuck it, you know? And that for me was, was incredible because I had never felt that way before. I'd never walked into a room where I didn't really give a shit what anyone thought. And what's strange is when I lived in Utah, even though I did have these moments of drinking, you know, I maybe went out twice a month to drink. Like I wasn't drinking at home. It was when I got to LA and you know, I met my, my now ex that things just started. I felt like my disease and I'm, and I'm not saying that without him in that situation, I wouldn't have become an alcoholic. I'm, I'm pinpointing when I saw my disease take Absolutely. off. That's when it took off. And then when my dad died, we were, we were off to the races. It was a bottle next to my bed. We were going to bed with the bottle. We were waking up with the bottle and you know, I've never done drugs before. You know, I smoked a little bit of weed here and there, but drugs drugs were the one thing because I always said, I'll never try drugs because I have an addictive personality. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm slamming fucking bottles of vodka at 11 in the morning. So yeah. the alcoholic mind is a real tricky one. Yeah. And how we're able to make sense of things you know, me saying, I'll, I'll stop drinking when I get pregnant. They're just, it's a constant mind fuck that this disease spins us into. Not only that, but I think culturally, especially in larger cities, it is just so normalized to be drinking heavily. And so you get lost in that. I don't know about you, but for me, when I started my show, my addiction just went through the roof. And part of that was because of access. Like I had far more money to spend now and I could get away with literally like murder. But like nobody could tell me shit anymore and no one could give me a hard time. As long as I showed up for set, doesn't matter if I'm high or drunk or whatever. If I could record, then we're, we're given a green light for whatever behavior is coming that way. And and I think part of that too is like the shame, right? Like, so it's, you're in this vicious cycle of like, you're, you know, you're filming, it's fucking embarrassing your behavior, but you have no coping skills to deal with it. So you're just going to like drink away the shame and just keep on this vicious totally. cycle. That's exactly what it was like. You know, my job, it was, I love that you, you said that it's normalized because it is. And now sitting here with over three years of sobriety, just looking at it through different lenses is like, this is so crazy to me that, you know, I was going to a a gifting suite on a Tuesday and getting slammed and didn't think a thing of it because everyone else was doing the same thing. And knowing that my job they were fine. As long as you're here, have as many cocktails as you want. The more fucked up you are, the better TV you're going to make, right? But I don't agree with that. I'm pausing for a second because everyone says that, that like reality stars, you should get them fucked up because they're a better time. But I will say in sobriety, right. and I get what, what where you're going, but I just want to say that I feel like we should change that narrative because... I have sat in the room with so many producers and they're like, well, you don't drink now. So like, what do we record? It's like, my life is so full and so So amazing and so much fun. And I'm able to be like consistent and show up and be creative and have an amazing uh, idea of how this show could go. But they don't want it unless there is that like drunk, sloppy drama. And I feel like it's tired and come on reality TV producers like let's do better. I fully agree with you. And and me saying that that's when I was you know, in my addiction. And I would sit here and think like, am I going to be interesting if I'm not drinking? Come to find out I'm just an unfiltered person. I'm an open book, whether I'm liquored up or not. So that's, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I I was concerned, you know, thank you. I have done now two seasons of Vanderpump Rules where I've been completely sober And like you said, the shame, when I watch it back, Mm -hmm. I don't sit here and think, oh my God, why did I say that? 
I own it. I can deal with it. I can apologize. And there's not that little devil on my shoulder that's saying like, in order to cope with this, you need to get slammed because it is a vicious cycle. I would go from, you know, telling myself at 2 PM when I would wake up, you're not going to drink today. Cut to that night. I'm fucked up. The next morning I feel the shame. How do you get rid of the shame? You just go back into your cycle and you're suddenly feeling yourself again. And it was nonstop. And when I first decided to get sober, my very first meeting, I remember she said to me, I call her one of my angels. She is my angel. She said, you don't have to wait for the elevator to hit the bottom floor before you get off. Because my rock bottom, everyone's rock bottom looks different, you know? And I'm sure you've, I, maybe you have, maybe you have not. Um, I dealt with a lot of guilt. Why was I drinking and driving and nothing ever happened to me? Why are there people who had the exact same addiction and behavior I had? And the outcome was so different. Like, why did I, why did that not happen to me? Like, how did I just decide to get sober? I didn't hurt anybody. I didn't go to jail. Like I dealt with so much guilt. I deal with it now. Mm. I definitely, I mean, I ended up going to jail and was twice convicted felon by the time I was 19, but, and burnt my whole life down on national television. So it was a little bit darker, but I will say it could have been worse. And I look at like, had I been black, I would have been in jail for uh, six years. Like I would not have been given the opportunity to go to rehab for a year. You know, like these are things that, you know, everybody should have access to. But yeah, I mean, right. But I think that that, gave me chills just now what you said. I think your story, though, is important and valid. And I'm going to tell you why your experience is important. It is because there are right now millions of women who are questioning, do I have a problem with my relationship with alcohol or whatever it is, this prescribed medication or what, or even smoking or sex or whatever it might be. And there is such a better life for you on the other side of that. And so hearing your story, your story is just as valid as my story. You could be, you know, shitting yourself and barfing in a jail cell like I was, you know, addicted to heroin and, and, you know, dying, or you can wake up one day and go, I can't live like this anymore. The shame and the mental health issues and the depression and the vicious cycle that I'm in right now is no longer sustainable. And I feel like, yeah, of course there's tons of people, you know, the, 70,000 to 90,000 each year that die from overdoses. There is me out there, but there are far more Lala's in the world, especially women who are going, I just can't stop. We're hitting the bar Mm -hmm. multiple times a week. I'm having multiple cocktails at night. I'm barely getting through the work day. My kids are suffering and I can't do this. And so your story is just as important as mine is. It's all equally important. And of course, we should thank God that we didn't kill someone. Thank God that, you know, we never injured someone or took a life drinking and driving 100%. But it's just as important and valid. Well, thank you for saying that. Yeah, I I deal with, with those emotions in my program a lot and, you know, talk to my sponsor. But I love that you said, you know, when people reach out to me, you know, wanting advice on, on getting sober and how you do it, you know, I wish that I could show them what their life holds. I'm yeah. sorry. I get really emotional with my okay. sobriety. Yeah. Like I'm in one of the hardest times of my entire life since my dad died. And I'm sober and I wake up and I, I just slay the day. Like I know that tomorrow is going to be better. I know I'm in my right frame of mind. I just want people to know that the path that people like you and I have chosen is not an easy one, 
but it's beautiful and it's worth all the work in the world. What would you do if you didn't have high interest loans or credit card debt? With Upstart, you can pay off your existing debt quickly and start living your life. If you dread looking at your credit card statements, you're not alone. The weight of debt can be crippling, but Upstart can help you on the path to financial freedom. Upstart is the fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan all online. Whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high interest debt, or funding personal expenses, over a million people have used Upstart to get one fixed monthly payment with a clear payoff date. Rather than looking at credit score alone, Upstart considers other factors like your income, current employment, and credit history to find you a smarter rate for your loan. You can check your rate without impacting your credit score in minutes for loans between $1,000 to $50,000. You can even receive funds as fast as one business day after accepting your loan. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash reality. That's upstart.com slash reality. Don't forget to use our URL code and let them know that we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. Upstart.com slash reality. Now's the time to seek pleasure in all areas of your life, including what you eat. You want to stay healthy, but you also want to actually enjoy your meals. With Saqqara, you get nutrition meals that nourish your body without ever sacrificing taste. Saqqara is a nutrition company that focuses on overall wellness, starting with what you eat. Their organic, ready-to-eat meals are made with powerful plant-based ingredients and are designed to minimize your sugar cravings, boost your energy, improve your digestion, and get your skin glowing. Sakara's chef-crafted breakfasts, lunch, and dinners are backed by cutting-edge nutrition science to boost your health and stoke your glow. And it's delivered fresh to your door anywhere in the U.S. Along with delicious plant-rich meals, Sakara also offers daily wellness essentials like supplements and herbal teas to support your nutrition. Experience their best-selling metabolism super powder and metabolism super bar to control sugar cravings, reduce bloating, boost energy, and reduce fatigue. Sakara has received rave reviews from Vogue, Goop, and the New York Times. I personally have done Sakara's reset program a number of times, and I've always been so happy with the meals that they deliver straight to my house. It's easy and super convenient. And right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com slash reality or enter code reality at checkout. That's Sakara, S-A-K-A-R-A.com slash reality to get 20% off your first order. Sakara.com slash reality. The beauty of getting on the other side is that we can't guarantee you that life won't show up. Life absolutely shows up. I have had miscarriages, losses of dear friends, ends of lifelong relationships that I never wanted to end. I have had so many highs and lows in sobriety. I mean, suicidal depression episodes, really a, a, a journey that's been a rocky road. The last couple of years, it feels like it's gotten really good. But (laughs) the gift is that those lows don't feel so low because we now have the tools and those tools are such a gift and they are precious to us and they look different for everyone. But I would love it if you could share some of yours, like what is getting you through this time period right now in your life where life is really showing up and you're in the throes of it? Ooh, and this sounds, I mean, first and foremost, I, I, I wake up and complete my days and sometimes sit in my bed and think, where am I getting strength right now? Mm. And obviously I have a beautiful little girl who doesn't care what's going on in my world. You know, she needs to be taken care of and she gives me all of my strength. I have an incredible mom who is my partner right now who takes over when things become too much. She allows me to work during the day and takes care of ocean. 
but me being in my program and, you know, having that connection with a higher power, whatever that may be, you know, I kind of am handing my life over to God in the universe because that's what I've been taught for the past three years and some change that when life gets to be too much, this is why we build a relationship with our higher power, something that is more powerful than our addiction, more powerful than us, more powerful than anything around us. And I don't know what it is about this time in my world, but my relationship with the universe and my higher power, and I feel so cheesy saying, even saying this, and I hope people that are listening to your show can relate on some sort of level because sometimes I feel like I'm preaching, but it's, it's very profound. I think that once you make that conscious contact, there's no turning back. And you see the ways in which you always have been and always will be carried through your darkest moments. And that there's always a lesson. I always say we take our pain and when we have the tools, we turn it into purpose and we turn Mm -hmm. it into something beautiful. And we can't run away from the painful stuff. For me, the biggest lesson that I learned in sobriety is that I have to learn how to sit in the discomfort of life and to allow myself to kind of like ruminate in it and change it. And it's kind of like the process of alchemy, right? Like turning something that's so Mm -hmm. dark into something so beautiful. And I love that you touched on that actually, because I think that when we turn to other humans even, right, for our only Mm -hmm. source of support, it's never enough. It's never going to be enough. And it puts too much pressure on like other people. Of course, we need community. And of course, we need to support each other and have each other, you know, and hold space for each other. But having that conscious contact with something greater than yourself is Mm -hmm. so important. So and that's been my experience, too. It's like turning it over. You know, I know that you're you're in the program and opening that page whenever I have a hard time 417 in the big book to acceptance is the answer to all of my problems today. And just being in this constant state of like acceptance and surrender. And I think people think that accepting and surrendering means somehow that you've lost your power. But in fact, by surrendering it to a higher power, we get to make conscious contact and then work with our higher powers to get through these challenges. So it's actually not like the process of just saying, I'm powerless and this is just what is. It's like, no, by getting out of my own way and by being willing to listen, I can now go on in my day and make the best decisions possible walking hand in hand with the universe or with your higher power or higher self or however you want to put it. No, that's so beautiful what you just said. You nailed it spot on. I couldn't have put it in a more perfect way. Hmm. Well, I am happy that you you sound like you have support during this really challenging time. And I can't imagine doing it in the public eye, like walking through, even just being on the show. When when we did Pretty Wild, there was no Instagram, right? And so I'm right. kind of curious to know, like, what's it like putting yourself out there and being so vulnerable in front of millions of people, placing yourself basically on the floor of public opinion all of the time? You know, I try not to think about it and I try to avoid the comment section at all costs. Um, I for so long lived in this world of just saying like, if I don't see it, it doesn't exist. And when I say that I I was meaning for the trolls, maybe I should have been going through my DMs a little bit more um, religiously. Maybe it would have spared me from being in the position I'm in now. I just kind of do my thing. I, I, I recognize that anyone that's looking in is looking through the tiniest of little pinholes into my world. And, you know, I'm, even though I was an insecure child, I feel like now I've really come into my own. I I can lay my head down at night and know that I'm a good human being, that I've been held accountable for 
my actions and I will continue to do so. So I really don't think that I'm like on display or having millions of people watch me. I just kind of do my thing and people are going to talk whether it's good or bad, whether you're mother Teresa, everyone always has an opinion and I'm okay with that. Yeah. I can't imagine going through all the things that I was going through. I mean, that was back in the days of like the dirty.com and TMZ was like on your ass for everything. So it was a little, (laughs) a little bit different than today, but like even I find myself, I'm, I try to be in my DMS as much as possible just because so many people reach out for needing help with their, you know, addictions and stuff. But God, it's so toxic. I'm like, social media is such like a cesspool for like angry people. And it's very sad. It it is. And you know, even though your DMs, I'm sure are filled with beautiful messages for the most part, we're human beings and we see one bad thing and it's like, we're fixated on that. Yeah. So I'm on that part. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Like, you know, when enough people tell you that you're X, Y, or Z, you start to believe it and question yourself. And it's like, no, Mm -hmm. you just need to remove yourself from social media for a little bit and focus on like doing what you usually do and take a step back and everything will um, Right. Remember what's real and what's not. Exactly. I feel like I want to chat about this because I think we have a difference of opinions on it. And usually Brian says that I always agree with everything my guests have to say, but this popped up a million times when I did the ask me anything for you. And it was, why do you have such strong feelings about being California sober? (laughs) I, I just don't think it's a real thing. You know, I, I've, been around many people who do everything they possibly can to never pick up anything that alters their reality. And, you know, I'm someone who, if, if California sober means that I can drink and smoke weed, well then I've, I've been sober for many years. Wait, does California sober, does California sober mean drinking too? I thought it just meant smoking weed. Am I wrong? I I believe it means no hard drugs. Oh, okay. So I could be wrong. This is just what I saw that it means, you know, like drinking, smoking weed, I think doing mushrooms, anything that is beyond that, Mm. then you're not California sober. For me, I'm someone who only smoked weed and drank and I, I almost lost my life. So I don't believe that you can put the word sober into a sentence if you're still picking up a substance that makes your your reality altered. Mm, okay. You disagree with me? Let me give you some context. Okay. For me, break it down. Let's break it down. So the drugs were never the problem. I was the problem. Right? Do you agree with that right. that statement, right? That like the drugs were a solution to my pain and trauma and the pain and the trauma and the lack of skills or the ability to process said trauma led to me using unhealthy coping mechanisms like drugs and alcohol. And when I was using drugs and alcohol, my intention was to check out of reality, hence the name of this podcast recovering from reality, right? My intention was Mm -hmm. to escape, right? I needed to escape my reality and my existence because it was far too painful to be here. So when people at five years, 10 years, whatever year sober, and I've, I've seen this, I've been sober over a decade now, say, I'm interested in going to the jungle and working with a shaman and using plant medicine to expand my consciousness and to do healing work. My question is always this. What is your intention? Is your intention to go check out and have fun and party? Or is your intention to heal and to do more work? Because if your intention is to heal and do more work, I don't consider that not sober. If your intention is to 
trip on drugs and have a good time, then that's a a lapse. I wouldn't say a relapse, Mm -hmm. a lapse in your sobriety. I think that I just have a different perspective because I work with people who have overdosed on heroin 20 times, who have been to rehab 15 times, who I know are just never going to get it. And for me, if you decide to go to the jungle and do ayahuasca or do psilocybin, which they've now studied at NYU and the effects of its ability to heal the brain after addiction and rewire neurotransmitters in the brain and like literally heal synapses that were forever broken because of having such a severe addiction and overdosing so many times and weed is keeping you sane, then you deserve to be celebrated and you deserve to be acknowledged as on the path of healing just as much as I do or you do, in my opinion. So I just have like a little bit of a different stance on that. And like, listen, it doesn't work for everybody, but also abstinence doesn't work for everybody. And I think that we need to move away from this like black or white or like all or nothing narrative because people are dying. I used to have really strong feelings about medication maintenance. Like I was like, if you're on 36 milligrams of Suboxone every day, you might as well be doing heroin because you're as high as you were when you were doing heroin. But it's like if that person is on the path of healing and is really trying and that medication is keeping them from killing themselves, then take the max dose of Suboxone every day so you don't die because that's all I care about. I want you to stick around long enough so that way you don't die. And listen, there might be people like Demi Lovato who try this and then eventually say, this isn't working for me, right? Like I'm not healing while I'm practicing this behavior, that's huge to be able to say that. But there are lots of people that I know that after 5, 10, 15 years of sobriety, you know, had autoimmune issues or had whatever and chose marijuana over prescribed medication and are still thriving. So I feel like I think in the recovery community, sometimes because living completely abstinence free is fucking tough, we go, this invalidates my work. But the reality is that it has nothing to fucking do with us. (laughs) You know what I mean? We just have like, we just feel like, you know, this is tough. And our, you know, you being completely abstinence free is a, for three years, is a huge accomplishment and should be celebrated to the largest degree possible. But somebody who, like I said, has overdosed 15 times and then chooses Mm -hmm. marijuana, I believe that they should be celebrated too. I get nervous, but you're looking at, you're looking at it through, you know, you're obviously an expert in this field. I wouldn't say I'm an expert. I just love learning about this stuff. Well, you're way compared to me. You're an expert (laughs) for me. I, when I was speaking about California sober, you know, I was touching on isolated Mm -hmm isolated incidents. I wasn't thinking about the bigger picture and, you know, maybe I should have because everything that you're saying is making sense for me. I just went to those rooms that I sit in. Of course. And I thought about all of these people who, you know, they're, they're not even taking NyQuil because, you know, they, it's just such a slippery slope. And now you talking about it though, you have opened my mind and my eyes and you know, it isn't so black and white as much as I, and I'm a black and white type of person. (laughs) I have a very hard time seeing the gray. I like things to be very clear. Um, but you're absolutely right. This, this is something that it can't be black or white and people do deserve to be celebrated. Yeah. I mean, I just think it's like a huge accomplishment. Anytime that you, you, are making a conscious choice to try to better your life, I think that that should be celebrated. That's just my personal opinion about it. How can we celebrate it without calling it sober? Because sober means that you're not putting anything into your system that's altering your state of mind. I mean, if you're going and you're doing, what is it called? Ayahuasca. I mean, very different type of thing. I have friends that do that. And that is definitely a healing process. Mm -hmm. You know, people swear by that. Mm -hmm. I just don't know why we have to call it California sober. It's just we're, we're sober or we're not. 
Yeah, I don't see it so black and white because again, for me, see, sobriety. Even now I'm, I'm putting it black and white. But I, I go back to this, like sobriety to me, because you have tons of people in the rooms. You know this. I I know a guy who who ended up killing himself at 25 years sober because he was never sober. He was fucking dry, right? So what is sobriety? Mm. Sobriety is healing. Sobriety is healing. Mm. Sobriety has nothing to do with abstinence, in my opinion. It has everything to do with you being willing to sit in the discomfort of your shit, unpack it all, right your wrongs, and become a productive member Mm. of society again, and dedicate your life to helping other people in some way or another, and repaying back for the thing, the the behaviors that impacted other people's lives negatively. That's sobriety. There's plenty of people in the rooms that might have time, but they don't have sobriety. And so if you have have sobriety, sobriety, if you're working a program with a sponsor, but you have severe anxiety and you're using medical marijuana or marijuana period, let's just say marijuana period instead of prescribed volume, but you're working those steps and you're doing your best to try to like get your shit together and get back on the horse again and like thrive. That's still sobriety to me, in my opinion. And a lot of people are going to disagree with me. I got to sit on it. I, everything. Can I tell you everything you're saying? is making sense, but I don't know if I'm feeling it. It's okay. (laughs) You don't have to. I'm not here to change minds. I'm just here to have interesting conversations. And your opinion in my, your opinion is just as valid as, as mine or anyone else's. I respect it all. I just think we, we need to have, you know, these conversations because it's important to like unpack and expand our minds and to, to research things and to explore. I am, I'm someone who loves to right. like dive in and explore and like have the difficult conversations, of course, in a respectful way. And I respect your opinion. And I think it's, you know, just as valid, which leads me to mocktails because not everyone agrees with mocktails. I love a good non-alcoholic white wine personally. You and me both. What you is your both. favorite mocktail? So my, I just discovered this, um, alcohol free company where they have wines and it's called Starla and they have this sparkling rosé that is just like to die for. Okay. Starla, hit me up. I need to try this. You have to try it. It is fantastic. That's my go-to. I also love me a good Heineken zero. Those are pretty bomb too. Okay. Love a good Heineken zero. And then my most favorite mocktail is a, a virgin uh, vodka soda. So just soda, <laughs> soda water. <laughs> yeah, I love, I live for sparkling water. Um, 100%. I love the seed lip drinks. Have you ever made mocktails with seed lip? They're so good. Yes, they're so good. Yeah, delicious. And the thing is, I, I enjoy, I enjoy being sober at this point. You know, like I used to like yes. to get fucked up. But now like, I really enjoy being in my right frame of mind. So the, the mocktails don't trigger me in any sort of way, Yes, but I, so I always want to be careful when I'm suggesting mocktails that like you're triggered by certain things, then just steer clear of it all. Stick to your diet Cokes. There becomes a, a time in sobriety for most people where the desire to check out of reality, the desire to be here feels so good that the desire to check out of reality leaves. And once that left me, it was like, I don't need to get loaded anymore. I don't feel triggered. I don't feel the cravings. I don't feel any of it anymore. It feels so good to just like enjoy deep conversations and rich, rich relationships with people. And I just Mm -hmm. live for that. And I love remembering everything that happened the next morning. I do wish... That part is the best. So good. And having no shame in the morning and not feeling the hangovers. I don't miss it at all. I do wish, and this is my dream, hit me up investors if you want to do this. I would love to start a sober bar, like a small, cool, chic spot in LA where people, all people, you know, I'm a part of the LGBTQ community. Um, so maybe somewhere in West Hollywood could come and enjoy incredible uh, apps and great mocktails and just have like a good environment that is sober, friendly, and safe. 
That is the best idea in the world. And you have to start that. (laughs) Somebody help me out because I have no idea how, but like great, uh, just like light little appetizers and incredible cocktails. So good. Um, it's sad that that doesn't exist because I know all of the cool meetings in LA that end, you know, late at night during the week, like everybody go would go there. Everyone's going to Mel's. I don't know if they're going to Mel's diner anymore. It's been a hot minute since I've been to LA meetings, but <laughs> they were going to like all of these cool diners and spots like that. Like if you had a spot in West Hollywood, it would be so cool. All right. So last question. And that is, I know you're going through it right now. But where would you like to see yourself one year from now? Ooh, one year from now. You know, I would really like to find myself on a scripted series. That has always been a dream of mine. So that would be amazing. I would love to have a little house in Park City, Utah that I can go escape to and I would like to be exploring my options for another baby. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love that you love being a mom so much. It's so great to it's see. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> Thank there you. I'm sure everyone knows where to follow along, but if they don't, where can they follow along? And do you have anything else that you wanted to promote on the show? Well, I always want to promote my Give Them Lala brands. I have Give Them Lala baby skin and beauty um, you can follow me on Instagram at Lala Kent. And yeah, I, I don't have Twitter or anything. So I only allow one little hub of where trolls can come to find me. And that's the gram. <laughs> Thank you so much. This week's affirmation is I am in alignment with who I truly am. And so it is. If you enjoyed this week's episode, do me a favor, follow along with us, leave a review. It means so much to me. There are new episodes of Recovering From Reality every Monday, and you can follow me on social at Recovering From Reality or visit my website, recoveringfromreality.com. 